This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. We are brought to you with classic football shirts, currently selling classic and clearance lines with products from £5 upwards, so there's something for everyone. They've got shops in Manchester and London, elsewhere as well if you're listening around the world. I think they've got one in Belfast or Dublin. Um, you can order online and listen to this show can get a discount using TOTD10 online as well. Um, I'm joined, as usual, this week by Manchester United hero, one of my heroes anyway, Paul Parker. How are you doing, mate? You alright? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you, Wayne. It's been a while, hasn't it? Three, four weeks? Four weeks, yeah. The first yeah. one we skipped, I thought, alright, we can have a pre-season. And then they sort of pushed our game back, didn't they? So it was like, well, <coughs> there wasn't really enough news. And then all of a sudden, there's this <laughs> colossal cacophony of news that's just come in all of a sudden. Um, yeah, I'm pretty good. Today's the um, release day for my book on David Beckham, um, which you helped me with, obviously, uh, for an interview. So, yeah, I'm a bit nervous. Always nervous when a book comes out because you're never sure... Uh, what the reception is going to be? Uh, you know, I've, I've written that many that I shouldn't be that bothered, but um, I am. It's <laughs> always a good way to be because if you're not, sometimes you might be deemed as taking it for granted. So if you've still got that, those butterflies in your belly about it, then that's always a good thing to have. Oh, thank you. Yeah, but I mean, this is the thing for me as well. I always like, you know, yeah, I'm very lucky that I write, but it's, it's you know, I get to talk football with people like you every, you know, well, you every week, which is. Uh, amazing for me and I'd, I'd never lose that um, and it might get a little bit great in for you sometimes with my little hero worshipping of you but um, I never never tire of it I'll always talk about it no matter who I'm talking to I'm always like oh my god I can't believe I'm talking to um, you know a guy that I idolise you in my team um, I've said many times I was doing an interview with the Scandinavian Supporters Association last week and they were talking about that because I got asked uh, maybe a couple of months ago to name my um, best eleven. It's for one of the you know cause a load of podcasts have started up in lockdown, and someone invited yeah. me on, and they they given me a little bit of warning, and I was going through everything because there's a one thing that I do, Paul, is that because I'm so um, biased towards people that um, I've worked with, I always find myself wanting to put like. Did, those players in the team, you know, like I want to put Gordon Hill on the left wing and <laughs> Danny Egan bottom at left back or something like that. And then, yeah, I'm not being fair to those guys, they probably wouldn't make an all time Man United 11. Maybe Gordon would for some people of a certain age. Um, so it's difficult. And I was like, oh, I'm, I know I'm going to be biased. So what I'll do instead is I'll just go to my team. And, you know, my team's the 93 94 side and, and you're in that. So. Um, I was mentioning you last week um, as well. So, yeah, it's, it's never something that I take for granted. Um, and I still get a little bit of nervousness talking. <laughs> even even these conversations that we've had many hundreds of times, I'm still a little bit nervous about it. Um, let, let's talk about um, a player who um, will end up being hero-worshipped. Um, probably is already to a lot of people um, because of the way that he's come into the Manchester United team. Um, the big story is uh, Mason Greenwood. Um, he and Phil Foden got caught inviting girls to their room on England U.A., which is a little bit mischievous, but in light of the current situation uh, with the pandemic and everything, it was probably a little bit ill-timed. Um, but then the media um, have been pretty sanctimonious about it. Um, they were when they... I, I can remember when um, Wayne Rooney... You know, but just before his uh, transfer request, he cheated, allegedly cheated on his wife, and that was like when he was on international duty. That story broke, and 
I look at this and Phil Foden is settled down with a a girl and a child he's a little bit older than Greenwood as well um, and then obviously these other stories have come out saying oh, that it was only a couple of weeks ago that he was doing this when obviously you can tell from the pictures that it was quite a, quite a long time ago not a couple of weeks I'm not defending his actions but he's a young lad um, going to make mistakes um, and and I mentioned Foden and I mentioned Rooney because I feel sorry for, for Mason that on top of the colour of his skin the colour of the shirt on his back makes him an extra target as well um, Paul, Paul where, where do you stand with this because I mean he's come out he's apologised um, he was sent home from England due um, we talked about this, didn't we? And they're probably the last podcast or the podcast before the last, where we you talked about perhaps not calling him up because it's too early for him. Yeah, and this was kind of sort of proof of that, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, I I, I personally think Wayne. I think I think it's great, but he hasn't really played any tw- under twenty one football at all. Mm. He's got no international experience at all and he, and we've got have it now because the press say call him up call him up Gareth Southgate should never have called him up in my opinion he'd done great but look at him watch him call him up get me under 21s get him playing with people of his own age who he knows well so he can embed himself in international football that's the way it was done many years ago and a lot of the players done that it's kind of straight away jumping them straight in when they're not really 100% regulars for their club side and given how United have been, for me, it didn't make sense to do it, what he'd done. But again, press and the manager maybe being a bit gullible and having to go their way because he's a bit scared of them, goes and calls him up. Like, you know, like the fact of calling up Grealish as a late call-up, Maitland-Niles as late call-ups, but then putting them on the pitch as well straight away. He mostly felt he had to, which, no, he didn't have to. And I'm just going back to how Bobby Robson would have done it and how Terry Venables would have done it. Yes, you've been called up, but that doesn't guarantee you're going to start. But everything now is give people caps, give them caps. To make things worse against Southgate, he put him in, he, he put him in a press conference. I know, that's how I was going to talk to you about that, Paul. Yeah, he put, he, that, yeah that, that, that was ridiculous. The lad is learning his way on the pitch. He's definitely learning his way off the pitch. So putting him in there in the middle of a press conference was totally wrong. I don't know who advised him or he didn't listen to advice, but that was poor man management skills, that was, and Gareth Southgate's idea. I don't know what he got from that. Someone's forced him to do that again, given how his world's going at the moment. The media seem to be strong-arming everything at this moment in time. And it was totally wrong for him to do that. He should have turned around then, Mason Greenwood, and if anything, looked and just said, no, sorry, I don't want to do it. Mostly easy thing for me to say after the horse has bolted, and if I was his age, would I have done that? But I think to myself, he should maybe have rang up maybe Karen from the club, the PA, rang up Karen and yeah, said yeah. to her, some, just to say, what should I do? And she would have then spoken to someone and said, don't do it. He didn't need that, and he gets asked stup- a stupid question as well that makes it even worse. So the whole thing surrounding it was wrong from, from, the, from, the, from the start of it. He gets, on, he gets onto the pitch, and you think to yourself, was that really necessary to do that as well, to go and do that for the lad? Get him involved. Bobby Robson had his habit of get involved, watch from the stands for a couple of games, watch at the bench from a couple of games and bang, you're in. That's what he would have done to a young player in certain ways. Not straight away allowed, allowed, to, um, allowed the press to food feed it for him. Go on, have that, have that. He would have said he would, he was he was stubborn. He said no, earn the right to have a cap. But he does. But Gareth Southgate hasn't done that. And then we've seen what happens. Yes, 
I won't go too, you wouldn't go too far there because you could be categorised as a hip, hypocrite. But common sense said, why are you doing that for? Your new kids on the block, enjoy the moment. But today's world is, you grab a phone and it's like a, you can swipe right, swipe left. And you can do so much there. Because yeah. I was trying to think to myself, how did they manage to meet this girl? It's a waning. And where you think, so, well, you can't, you don't go out to bars or nightclubs or restaurants when you're away of England. Not, not on your own. You don't, get, you don't get that freedom as an England player to go and do anything like that, like you might do on a club trip or anything. And all of a sudden you find out what's gone on and there, there you are. So they get, you know, they get absolutely battered all over the place. But everyone's got an opinion as the world is today. Everyone wants to say about every footballer, sack them there. And because they earn a bit of money, everyone wants to slag them off even more. Even the government minister had a go at them, didn't he? At the top end of lockdown, that idiot, whose name is very apt for him, by the way. <laughs> um, so um, so that, that goes on as well. And then the worst, they do all that. And the worst thing about it is that Gareth Southgate doesn't do him any favours after. He keeps going on about it and he says too much about it, in my opinion. Mm. He should have said his strong bit and it was done initially and he keeps it going on and on. He should have said, I've said what I've said, I've said what I've got to say to the players and it's put to bed, but it keeps it on and on and on. And then these new, I'm not even going to call them press because they're not. They're not press people, they're people who go around in dirty old dirty old 1980 sports jackets and just find anything they can. They let, because, um, as well, phones allow you to manipulate everything. They, they dig up an old picture, because straight away my boy sees a picture and he goes, Dad, they're kind of making that this is the other day. Look, he hasn't even got the tattoos on the arm. He, he never got those tattoos. He didn't have those tattoos those tattoos till years ago. That was years ago. So he saw straight through it as a 23-year-old boy. But the problem is that people look at it, and you, my boy said about reading his comments, the people who are, who are writing all these comments about him haven't got a clue about anything in the background. And, and that's the problem, as we've seen already, outside of football, no one is bothered about history. History is what happened 12 hours ago. And, that's, and, that's, and that is the problem. And they don't, they've got to think, if they've got children, would you want someone talking about your 17, 18, 19-year-old kid like that, without knowing the truth, without knowing what his temperament's like, what his personality, and how you affect him? And, and given everything at lockdown, people understanding about people's mental health, to go around and do somebody, somebody who's trying to do something, who's made a mistake, attempting to represent your country. And that's what they're doing. Would they do it to somebody who was going to war for their country? Would they want to batter their heads, get into their heads straight away to affect them doing a job for their country to save their lives? I very much doubt it. And we spent how many months being locked up and all of a sudden everybody was caring about everybody. Oh, so many people dying and dying. But the moment everything's supposed to be right, we want straight away go and savage a young boy who will grow up very quickly after that. He will grow up very, very, very quickly. And, and what happens in as normal kids of that age, kids out there who have got jobs, who are doing everything, they're made more mistakes in a year than what Mason Greenwood has done in his lifetime so far. So he gets, he makes his first one, he gets battered, but he will learn with that more than anyone else will, because it's been public, he knows he has to do everything right now because, it, because everybody out there is ready to jump on him with size 20 Timberland boots on their, on their feet. Yeah, it's a strange thing for me, Paul, because I mean, I, I do understand the unprofessional side of it, 
I look at it and I think he's a young lad. He's a young lad. He doesn't have the commitments. Like for example, Phil Foden. Like I mentioned him deliberately mm. because he was the other guy with him, and he has a kid and he's settled down. So why are the knives out for Mason? I just yeah. well, I you know you know why you can put two and two yeah. together for why, but. I just don't understand why they went in on him on, on that way. But I, to get to that point where you were saying about the press conference, I completely agree. Um, because obviously straight away they were going to ask him about Harry Maguire because he was the big news at the time. Um, it goes to show, like, because that was fairly big news and how quickly that can get sort of. But, but there's, qu- there's quickly one. It was like, it was, he'd done this. It was like, kind of, I'm trying to think, it was like straight away put there's a press conference and asking, like, say, a young young yeah. Ryan Giggs at 17, asking him about something, say, that Brian Robson had done wrong. Yeah. The diff- you know, you're crazy. talking about a 10 year difference in age. Yeah. Oh, so you're asking about something. He's got all he does. He plays. He plays with him. They don't socialise together. They respect each other because they play in the same team as footballers. And yet you're asking him that. How is he going to know? The other thing, Paul, on that as well. Um, sorry to interrupt. Is the fact that we all saw what happened with the Maguire case in real time. Like everyone overreacted mm. at the start, and then then we got another version of events mm. it was like and then you had the divide of like oh well we don't believe him or we do believe him but that just says to me the immaturity and the presumption of people they just want to have an opinion and target someone and to, to sling abuse and that's mature men three times the age of mason greenwood do you know and those that's the kind of man who's putting that question to Greenwood. Yeah, I know. Nonsense. Well, well, they're not proper journalists anymore. Proper journalists would have read. Proper journalists, the ones that I knew during my time, and it's, and it's fortunate. There's still some of them I see on the circuit now. They would have seen him, and a lot of them been, would have been shaking their heads, saying, "Why has he been allowed to sit on that stage?" And some of them mostly didn't even want to ask him a question. Mm. They would have stayed away from it because they know if it because everyone took the press, they're all talking there, and already the man. I'm sure Ollie knows who that who asked that question yeah so he knows that straight away when that newspaper or that man in that person in, i'm not going to call him a man by the way because that's wrong because he's not um ask a question to him or anything he'll be ready to respond to that because his mentor would have done yeah. exactly would, would do exactly the same he would bide his time he won't wait he won't do it he won't react now he'll wait until that person has the bare-faced cheek to come to a press conference after Manchester United have played a game and dare to ask him a question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a little bit on Maguire. I don't want to talk in, in the logistics of everything what he's done because, like I said earlier, the, the details of which we still don't really know fully and it's maybe wise to not jump in too far like everyone else has done. Um, the club seem to be supporting him and Solskjaer has basically said he's going to remain captain. Mm. I mean, this is a, a different thing for me. So you can disagree with whether or not he should be captain. And I think, you know, we might have different opinions on that as well. But if Solskjaer wants him to be his captain, it's at least better. Because you had so many people coming out and saying, oh, they should strip him of the captain say. And I think that you said before, like Bruno Fernandes might be a better captain. But if Solskjaer wants him to be captain, it's better to see that he's got the conviction of his decision, isn't it? That he's not swayed by that pressure. He's going to say, no, I want him to be captain, and he's going to stay that way. Um, yeah, I think in, in a way I can see why he's gone and done it. Um, I look at someone like Harry Maguire, and I look at how society is today, what it's become in a very, very short space of time. And I think someone who's a who's a little bit more clued up, 
maybe would not have gone abroad straight after, may not have gone, given all the hassle that goes with it, because there's a, again, there's people out there who are holiday police, as we've got mass police, as we've got social distancing police, and now we've got, we've got the marshals on the street. Everybody wants an opinion. Everybody wants to stop people doing things and wants to shout as loud as possible. So I think in certain ways he maybe should not have gone. Mm. But then if he was going to go away, he should have just gone away with him and his partner. Didn't need to have a, um, a gang of lads with him, around him. Um, didn't need anything like that at all to draw attention. People see it, as much as everyone wants to have a go at you as a footballer, if they see you with your partner, your wife, they'll have a little snipe. Mm. Yeah, but they see you with another bit of fellas around him. It's like even more, you know. I mean, it's they, game, you, yeah, it's like it's likely to take weak and lock corns now because you come out and a lad's booze up. Yeah, and that's what they do. So they feel they can get closer to you and say a little bit more. But after maybe me um, being black and seeing when and all of a sudden then I get a status of playing for England and then I get a bigger status. My status gets bigger by joining Manchester United. Where I was I, I born cautious, born cautious. As life went, I become more and more cautious when I got when I was around people. And and as much as he, he was said that he got abused or what anything said, you think of who you are what you are and where you are and what you're representing and you either keep your head down or you walk or you turn around and you smile and you give them a thumbs up and that's what you do that's the way you react because they want you to snap so now they can get where they want because every everybody the reaction now is everybody how quick can i get my video or camera working and yeah. common sense would have... If, if he had been a captain of a club before or had anything like that, he would have been better suited to, to react to that situation because he's never been a captain really of a club before and, and all of a sudden he's captain of, you know, in the, as the biggest club in the country in, in, a, in a massive position. Because when I think about the likes of Steve Bruce and Brian Robson, what they had to do as a captain yeah. for Manchester United. And I was, I was a captain at Fulham. At 21, I was captain of Queen's Park Rangers, and that was a walk in the park. That, that wasn't that was just me putting an armband on. That's all I done. Yeah. When you're captain of Manchester United, it's an everyday job. Everything is filtered back for you. Even the players, we felt we filtered back to them. We related to them as our lieutenants, as such, our bosses. Before we go, before we go to the line, the next line manager, which was the boss. So Harry. For everything I'm reading and what I'm seeing, and he could have maybe dealt with that a lot better than the way he did. Yeah. So if Ollie believes and he's told him, he can look him in the eye and he has told him exactly how it happens and he believes him, then he's gonna he will go with that. But more for Harry Maguire if he hasn't told Ollie everything that's gone on. Because one thing I learned that when Sir Alex Ferguson was my manager, I never left anything out because I knew he would always back me. To every point, I would take I would take um, maybe everything that went after I told him because he would lay it on the line. Everything that went happened. There could have been a fine. Everything, but when someone come to him to attack me and Manchester United, and it was at him, and he had to deal with it, he would actually say enough to he knew already, and he knew every single bit to try and put a band aid over certain situations. Mm. So I hope that that way Harry has told Ollie everything that's gone on. 
Yeah, I, that's a, a thing as well. Um, people have mentioned this that um, Roy Keane got into some trouble in the week before we played um, Newcastle in the FA Cup in the treble season. So it's not like it's completely um, uncharted territory, even you know for for the successful captains as well. But I think, like you said, it's in that in that case, obviously Keane was so crucial to the team Ferguson knew what he was doing um, and so dealt with that the best way and obviously it was successful the way that it was resolved because um, because Keane was so important to us moving forward after that um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Maguire obviously and, mm-hmm. and we just to say to conclude on this that obviously if he is found guilty and that it's not like a kangaroo court then you know he deserves punishment but he, there are two sides to every story we don't I don't still the public don't really know everything that happens, so just um, just support what Ollie's doing at the moment. That's what I'm inclined to do. Um, but that says one thing about um, the sort of political problems. Let's talk about the transfers and, and whether or not the club are getting it right. And the first one is that the headline story this season, or this summer anyway, has been Jadon Sancho. Um, United pretty much seem to be accepting they're not going to get the deal done. Um, it's rumoured. Um, as a result of that, Paul, that Oli might take advantage of this generous Gareth Bale giveaway at Real Madrid. Um, Madrid looked like they, well, that he's rumoured that they're going to offer to pay off of his wage and basically give him away. Um, we've been doing the columns on the website, obviously, and John O'Kane said in his column last week, it's almost too sensible. I mean, if it's a short term, like a one year, if it's a loan or something, boy, it's got to be worth a, a gamble, hasn't it? I mean, Gareth Bale, he's not shot, is he? Do you know, so it's um, it's got to be worth a short term. Um, well, I would, yeah, I would. I'm looking at the Sancho one for me. It's becoming a debacle, if I can use that word. I think it's see after what Manchester United done with um, um, Van, um, I forgot Van der Beek, yeah, and that would, you know. The way that the way that deal was done, I think, yeah, and that that for me that said, oh, the club are getting it right now. How they're doing it? How they just to go and get a player of that quality, and you could have gone and spent sixty million more to try and get Madison and all the circus that goes with that. Mm. You say to yourself, right, brilliant, great work. Got every got a player in Vander Vanderbeek who's, you know, he's everything for such a young player. He's everything about him. Got everything in a bag. You couldn't, you know, it's a great price yeah. to go and to go and do that. Great price to go and do something like that. And the one, the, the Sancho one, I've said, I think I've said it with you many times. I say it everywhere I go, and I've been consistent. Don't do it. Don't go and pay a hundred million pounds plus for potential. Yeah, he is potential. I'm sorry. There's no other way to say it. Man City let him go. He's gone to Germany, and he's done well in the second best team in Germany. Everyone's going, he's destroying everybody, he's doing this. But you've got to remember, he's playing for the second best team in Germany and there's a massive gap. But uh, Gladbach had a great season last season for them. Incredible. And you think, so, right, that was, they're three teams. And you, and you think after that, Bayer Leverkusen, you think, okay, but he's doing it against them. And I look at it and he had 15, 20 minutes against Iceland after he disappeared. Mm. Never come, never come out, never come out the traps against Denmark. And people say you can't judge him on two games. Well, you're right. 
don't you can't make a yes or no over those two games, but you expect to see something that suggests you there's a player there. There's some way you'd see some kind of consistency to say he's going to be a good player when he gets other things happening them around him. You can see that. I never saw that. I saw him play a few games for Gladbach and I think he's a bit zippy, he runs around, he's on the right. And again, I say it, Manchester United have already got players like that. Manchester United need somebody who can play centre-forward, who wants to be a centre-forward, because they can't rely on Martial. I'm sorry, as much as he did all right after lockdown and he scored some very good goals, you can't rely on him because you always don't know when when you're travelling to the ground to watch him at some point, I should say, that that might happen to a lot of people, what you're going to get. Yeah. You don't know what you're going to get from him. And when it's not going his way, he disappears. He won't, he won't give you enough for the team to try and bring other people into it. He's not a Mark Hughes in that sense. When it's not going right for him, Sparky brought people into the game. He, he doesn't do that. So I'm... Uh, no, I think United should turn around, put that to bed and say, OK, because maybe Dortmund, the Germans... And we know the way Bayern Munich work as well. Brilliant. Brilliant when they go in the marketplace. Absolutely brilliant how they work things. And what what um, Dortmund are doing and all Manchester United doing and saying to Dortmund, we think you've done great. You've stolen from Manchester City. You've turned him into this and you've got him doing everything great in a system that works. So now you're going to sell him back to Man City's biggest rivals and then you're going to go and, you know, go and quadruple or whatever it is, get five, six times back what you paid for him. Fantastic business for you. And we'll be the mugs who are going to go and pay it. Mm. Why, go and, why, why go and do it? So if you can go and get Gareth Bell, who has got four Champions League medals, has got, I don't know how many league medals he's got, but maybe not that many because Barca were strong during that period domestically as well. Mm. So... But he's played in four Champions League finals. He scored in Champions League finals. He's going to cost you, say you're talking about 300 grand a week. I'm going, wow, Christ almighty. You know, amazing amount of money. You think to yourself, there's pedigree there already. And all you need to do is try to get a smile back on his face. Get him, you know, all you've got to do is hopefully get the dust out of him because he's a little bit, he needs a little bit of oil in as well. And then you've got yourself a ready-made person to come in on a short-term basis. And then you might find that Sancho is going to be maybe 40% cheaper this time next year. Yeah. Put it to bed. Become the big club that you are and put the Sancho one to bed to say, we're not dealing with you anymore because, no, you've, it's gone. There was a deadline, August the 10th. Why are Manchester United still talking about him now after that deadline that Dortmund sent? Who's, who is the big club here, by the way? Why are they getting involved? Yeah. It's, Ridiculous. It's, it's true, and it, you, you're right in that you know you don't do, you don't say yes or no signing player on one or two games. But I will say that if you are going to spend hundred million pound as a straight fee, you want to see something. Don't you? you want to see something that you're paying hundred million pound for? Obviously, you do. I think it's nuts to suggest that you wouldn't want to. You can't just expect to see quiet games and excuse them because players sometimes have quiet games I think if you're spending record sums of money you want to be seeing something every single game I don't think that that's too astonishing to, to expect um, but obviously it doesn't look like we're going down that way um, I agree with you the signing that we've made is eminently sensible um, ticks all the boxes one signing though Paul and we've talked about the value of maybe bolstering the squad um, with you know the obviously we've 
not got really great uh, squad depth, but so the the argument is either you add to the squad in the same fashion, I guess, with Van der Beek, you know, you get one or two, three, well, three or four players of that, or like we said on the probably the last two podcasts, you add one or two names of real quality, but we've not really done either, and so you're almost left wondering. We made all this song um, and dance about qualifying for the Champions League. Do you know what? Why? Why was it important to qualify for the Champions League if we weren't gonna do anything? I oh know. I know the whole thing. The whole thing is is mad. What the way things are being treated now, and you know, you, you hit a good point, and all of a sudden it goes backwards very, very quickly in the transfer market. You know, in 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 the champion with the Champions League behind you. You have to virtue is given the opportunity to speculate, to accumulate. Mm. That's, that's what it gives you, the opportunity it's given you. And people say, oh, but it's because of this pandemic and you can't do that. I think a lot of football clubs in a certain way are kind of using it. They don't want to be seen to going out doing what they're doing because they're worried what people are going to say. But there's enough funds in there to go and do something because clubs do speculate to accumulate because once they get once they know they've got Champions League football, they know they've it's like it's their leverage with a bank to say, look, this is what we we can do because we've got this coming. So Manchester United should be looking to do that. Don't go and spend a hundred million. Go and get someone who's gonna just gonna cost you wages. Can you go and get another two players which are important? And I think as we've as we've we've seen at the weekend with the game that went over the weekend, the one if if you ask people to name their best eleven, their their starting eleven, the best eleven United can put on the pitch, if you go and ask a hundred people, I would I would say they wouldn't use more than fourteen players for their best eleven. Yeah. No more. Which is for me, you're talking about Manchester United. That's shocking. Yeah. That's shocking because I think that I think there isn't many there isn't many players who 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 play. Paul, sorry to interrupt, but it's shocking for this Manchester United because yeah. we're not saying that this is a United team. We're talking about a United team who finished third and could easily finish sixth. We're not talking about a Manchester United team like the one that you played in, where the first 11, 12, 13, 14 players sort of pick themselves. This is a, a different United. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it is a different United. So we have to look what's there at the moment, the tools he's got, and there's still arguments when you talk about their best eleven because you will look at that, you will look at that backline still, and that's the that's the area where everyone is still kind of I'm in an in about, or you know, and, and all of the back four, everyone is I'm in an in about. There isn't one of them that everyone goes, he's the mainstay. Hundred percent will not go, he's the mainstay. Simple as that. But I can only relate to when I relate to my time. I would always relate, and I'd turn around and say, Steve Bruce was a mainstay. Fans have gone, best it, Steve Bruce would always get in there. Pally would always get in there. Even after, I'd turn around and say, blimmin' hell, Yapstam would always be there. Yeah. Ronnie Johnson would be there. It'd be a, then all of a sudden you go, well, hold on, Ronnie, ooh, what a, you know. There were so many centre-halves you could name, full-back you could name, but at the moment we're unsure. But there's full, only 14 players, in my opinion. Some, some might, there might be another one come out, let's say 15, but if you think about it, there isn't that many. You look in midfield now, they argue, who's going to, you know, what's he going to do in midfield? So you look at the midfield and you name four, mid, name, the four name the four players, you've got to pick three from four, and all of a sudden, who's going to be the four? Who's, where are you going to pick your three from as a four? And straight away, the only only one to come, you go Matic, Van der Beek, you go in um, Fernandes, and you go in Pogba. There's your four. Yeah. 
Yeah. Straight away. That's what that is what ninety nine out of a hundred would name. You get the other ones who'll go another way, but that's what the the vast majority would always go, without a shadow of a doubt. There's no there's nowhere else for them to go. And then you look for the three up front, and there you are. That's what that's what's there at the moment in time. So you think it needs a change in the three up front. So that means you need someone who can go through the middle, and they haven't got that. You look as well. You look at the back four. It needs at least. In my opinion, we've got, there's plenty of centre arms everyone keeps talking about, but they don't play. Are they not fit, or is it because Ollie doesn't fancy them? But he keeps going back to the same because he thinks that's reliable. But in, it still needs a commanding centre half. Yeah. As much as Harry Maguire is the captain, he is not a commanding centre half. Because I think he's got enough issues with his own game. To, to worry about anyone else's. But when you go and get this commanding centre-half, he has to play on the left side. So United can get balance on the left-hand side. I've seen pictures of Luke Shaw. That's fantastic. The way he's got himself down to now, you've got to worry about what's he like inside. Is his fitness right? Is he going to be able to last 90 minutes after losing that much weight? Because when you lose that much weight, you lose that little bit of body strength. You have to work that body strength back. He's going to, muscles going to start having to work harder again now because his body become accustomed to a certain to have been a certain size, a certain weight. How's he going to adapt to for his change in body shape? If he gets it right and gets back to the Luke Shaw that was at Southampton. Then, then that, that works fine. But the centre still works. People are still not sure about Manchester United at right back. Is um is AWB, is he gonna is he gonna is he learnt from last season? Is he gonna be able to take on now, add something else to his game now and take that step forward as a as a young fullback coming from Crystal Palace? So when you after that and you ask you ask to come from the bench and change a game, there's nothing there. Yeah. There's nothing there. And we saw that in the back end of the lockdown league. There wasn't a lot there when it really mattered. We saw that in the Europa League. The moment they got they got in behind, they didn't have anything there to change it up a little bit. Fernandez was on his knees. There wasn't nothing there. Pogba was still was chasing fitness and the amount of games he'd missed. So the two influential players were gone. Yeah. It's, it's a, a thing for me, like... Villa at the weekend, we lost 1-0 in a friendly. Um, and yeah, fairly unimpressive whatsoever. Um, it's not it's not really concerning for a friendly, but it is an illustration of how flat we can be once you don't have that full first 11. And that's my concern going into this, um, into this next season, is that we're not... And we're not addressing it. We're not addressing it in either way. I mean, yeah, all right, fair enough. If, if you're not going to use the Champions League as that platform to go out and buy the Sancho's because of inflated fees, then fair enough, I'm inclined to somewhat see the sense in that. But that squad's not good enough to, you know, I've said it before, it was great that we finished third and maybe, you know, with Fernandez in, that's the true reflection of where we are. But I still think we're anywhere between third and seventh. I could look at that season and think, well, you know, we could have ended up anywhere. Um, I don't think we're definitely third best. I'm still unsure because I look at through that side and I look at the three or four names who are guaranteed to start. If you look at the team that you chose, the 11, you probably say six or seven at least of those. Well, I'd prefer if they were an upgrade, if they were an upgrade for me to feel completely confident that we could finish well at least third if not challenging for the league and you know I just 
you know, obviously, no nobody can say that the squad options aren't there to bolster because we did it last year. Ollie did it last year. So you've got to say that at some point he's not being backed in the way that he must want to be backed because he can't look at that and think that's good enough. Um, anyway, we'll see. We'll see because we've still got a couple of weeks until until the, the transfer thing. And, you know, yes, it's our first podcast of the season, so we've got to address the, the sort of transfer situation, but the, the window doesn't close until a couple of weeks into the season. So we're not really... We don't, we don't always um, indulge in all the speculation, but if it's strong speculation, obviously we do talk about it. Um, but yeah, you know what isn't speculation is the state of the squad, and you know, like you've said already, well, like we have said before, in, we're injuries in a small squad um, away from a difficult time. Um, so. There are two conversations about the current state of the virus as well, Paul, uh, and the worry that we might be headed into another lockdown. So you worry if perhaps football could be postponed. It certainly looks as if the trial to bring fans in, back in will be again. Um, but we won't have that conversation on this. I, I do want to talk a little bit about um, it, only on um, the fact that players have been testing positive for the virus. We've had Paul Pogba that did. It does cause complications because you need to be consistent with it. And this is just an interesting thing for me, Paul. Let's say that Paul Pogba is unavailable to play for Manchester United because he's got coronavirus. Do you just treat it as an injury and play on? Or do you postpone the game? Because I think if you've gone to the extreme of postponing months of a season because of the virus, on the same principle... You can't allow squads who could be ravaged by the virus to have an entire season disrupted by it. Um, where, where do you stand on that? Um, me, I'm, I'm a sceptic in the whole thing, and I would just say we could look at... I never, I never... There's many times I started games of football and I had a sniffle. Mm. And my idea of anything, if I got a sniffle or, or anything... Best thing I'm going to go and do, even now, when I feel like oh, I feel a bit blocked up, I feel a bit heady, I get down to the gym and I I sweat it out. Mm. So our Paul, Paul Pogba's got something which one swab has suddenly said he's got it, but him personally, he's feeling great and he's ready to play. You carry on, you've got a squad. <laughs> you've got a squad, everyone keeps talking about squads and everything. I'm talking Premier League here, by the way. Yeah. They've got squads. You carry on. That's what it's for. You can't because otherwise it's going to be stopped. And what are we going to get to the state of soon in two years' time? Someone's got a nosebleed, so the whole, so the whole, you can't play a game because it, because the whole team could suddenly get something that gives them a nosebleed or yeah. a cold or yeah. a chill. The whole thing is, is becoming farcical to be perfectly honest. And people are going to get it, and they keep everyone together. Well, you do pick up stuff because we're humans. It's been going on for years. It's never going to change. But we can't keep stopping and starting things off the back of somebody's got this and somebody's got that. So it's, it's not going to change. And every time a footballer gets it, they, go, he's got, they start, have, everyone again starts having a go about it. That means he's been doing this and he's been going, oh, because he went to this restaurant the other day. Yeah. People have got to start looking in the mirror, look at themselves, and realise that we're humans. <laughs> we, we do you want us? Do you want people to? I tell you what, all those people who keep moaning about people going to restaurants, all get together, find a lovely little house, and just all stay in there. And people like me, a sceptic, I would come along, and from a hundred yards, I would try and throw in food to you and toilet rolls, 
and you can live in your own little world of insecurity and and naivety and ignorance and you can have the and call it and then you can live there and you can call it a life I, i'll turn around and call it being foolish but you can carry on but please don't have a go at people who want to get on and enjoy their life and footballers are there to play football and yes they are going to get it they are going to get it because it's supposed to be something that in a certain way it's it's airborne in a certain way but you know it's not no one knows it's a bit like catching a cold how did i catch this cold how did i catch flu we don't know but what you do is your immune system helps if you haven't got a strong immune system that means relatively that you've got some kind of illness you're a bit old you might be a little bit overweight but all the different things now all of a sudden now we're telling people oh you've got to lose weight well this is me i'm i'm comfortable this is i can't change it it's my it's my it's me it's what i am it's what i've been for how many years it ain't going to suddenly change and I'm okay. Give people the option of life to, to what they're going to do. And Paul Pogba, if you said to him, Paul, can you play? Paul would have gone, yeah, I'm ready to play. Yeah. Because, because something, I mean, they do blood tests for them. They do to look at the, you know, their arm levels and tiredness in their bodies. And sometimes it comes back, tells a player in the blood test, oh, he's tired, he can't train. The player would go, I feel great. But the blood's saying this, tell you what, it could be wrong. It could be a faulty testing machine, a faulty swab that's saying about this corona, whatever it is. I don't even want to say it's getting on my nerves. But we saw the other day they talked about saying, oh, we can't do it at airports we, because it, cause we can't trust it. It's correct. So it's all right in a car, making people drive into a car park then. Yeah, well, that's why I had to do that when I did my operation over the summer. Um, yeah, I had to go to a car park. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah it, it's it's a. I just thought it was an interesting topic in terms of obviously they they cancelled the entire well they postponed the entire football season because of it and for in in many places they just stopped it. So it's an interesting thing to sort of say, well, we're going to resume it, and if a player catches it, we're just going to allow it. Because I'm I'm, I'm thinking on the theory of well, let's say that. A, a, seven or eight players um, catch it and they're out for a significant period of time. Um, let's say Two weeks. Po- yeah, Two but let, let, let's say that um, the virus inflicts a squad and that, that it affects a month of the season. And let's say that there's some Im- important games in there. And I'm, It's just an interesting thing for me in, in respect of the fact that they cancelled it last season. I agree, I, I tend to agree with a lot of what you're saying with, um, you know, obviously... Um, athletes are better equipped to deal with with it, and it's um, you know it's not in the age. And it's not really about coronavirus as a thing. It's to do with the principle of them stopping it and starting it again, and, and how far along the line do you go? Because obviously you're gonna have clubs who might then say, "Oh, you cancelled it last season, and and we've been relegated this season." Do you know? It's just an interesting. Oh thing yeah, the open, oh, yeah. The whole thing is the whole thing. Yeah, to open up a can of worms, but it's got it's got. It's Six or seven players get it. They've still got to carry on. Didn't we have an incident many moons ago with West Ham and Tottenham? Who was it? Was it Tottenham said that they... Lasagna or something. Yeah, they said that. Did, did it stop the game? No. Yeah, you're and, right. No, yeah, yeah, they did. And, you know, and the, players, the players with food poisoning would have been in worse state if they had food poisoning. Not a chance. Their heads, their stomachs, their bowels, everything would have been in a terrible state. Yeah. But they put the game was still played. Yeah. So everything is absolutely... I have to stand stand up to this at some moment in time and I need to stop talking because otherwise I'm going to get too yeah. wound up, too emotional because it's just the whole thing is farcical at this <laughs> moment in time. Farcical. I, I thought I thought the, the topic of the conversation was, a, you know, like the principle of it was interesting. Anyway, yeah, let, let's yeah. talk about something that um, is 
<laughs> probably not going to do any, any good for your blood pressure. Um, new strip at United. Oh. Um, you've wore some strips in your time that could certainly be described as daring. Um, mm. the, in the first season, there was the blue and white snowflake one, which has become iconic over the years. Um, you could also say that about the, the black strip and the green and gold strip as well. There was the... Um, the dark blue one with the big black crest on it. Um, uh, the the grey one, which was definitely iconic, but not very fashionable. Mm. Um, and there was the blue and white stripes one with all the names on as well. Um, and then they've come and brought out this black and white um, print, which is, um, I don't know if it's designed to make the um, opponent have a seizure or something, but it's... It should come with a government health warning because if we saw that on TV, <laughs> if it didn't, if it didn't have a government health warning in the corner, people would be suing, wouldn't they? To tell me what you think about it. I mean, it's, it's a monstrosity for, 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 in my opinion, it is. At this moment in time, I can say about a one, the blue and white, um, the the snowflakey one was the fact of we won a league cup in that jersey. Yeah. So I think that takes takes a you know a little bit. Um, I think some of the grey one was member because of Southampton. Yeah. Um, the blue and white, the blue and white one, um, that one, we is it won the league? Was it that one at Middlesbrough? Yeah, we did, yeah. That's right. yeah so, so that one, it might come into it. This one's got a lot of work to do. <laughs> they did. I mean, the other time we're talking about good Manchester United, great Manchester United teams. Then this one's got a lot of work to do. It's like it's like a zebra lying down, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's it looks awful, and certain players are going to look absolutely horrendous in it. Would he yeah. ever get to a point, Paul? And that, this is interesting um, from a pro, getting the professionals inside on this. C- can you ever refuse to wear a kit? Do players have any choice in what they wear? In what they wear I'm sure they would have gone. To, they would have gone to the players. That definitely would have gone to the players about it. Something. Somebody would have gone there to the players and said it, and they would have. They'd have been at least allowed an opinion about it. I don't know how strong it can be. I can remember an incident with Robbo, something like that, coming Bruce. There was definitely something. I think because the boss brought it in, the boss would have a, the boss would always have a say in something like this. But I think we have to remember is that the boss was the boss was the last real boss of Manchester United in that sense. The way things have gone on over the years, so I don't know. But for me, this is a marketing thing that might be great in America. Um, I'm not so sure about here. If a European side had won had worn that. I could maybe relate to it more if the Italians had worn that. Italian side, like say Juve had worn that. I think myself, well, it's Italians, and generally Italians wear stuff, and all of a sudden we pull a face at it, and all of a sudden, six months down the road, we, we want to wear it. Yeah. You know, because of the way they are. But this strip, it's not getting me. I'm just not sure about the, the shorts that goes in with the shorts. It's, it's too much. Are people going to buy it? Um, and wear it with a pair of jeans or wear it with a, a pair of shorts or in their way on holiday because it's going to be so out of context maybe with everything else they've got you've got to buy matching gear with it because otherwise it ain't going to work but let's put it this way it's not really at this moment in time because you've mentioned those other kits I don't want to go too deep on it because it could come back and smack you in the face but at this moment in time it's what I would not expect of Manchester United to be wearing a strip like that at, in this in this. At this moment in time, given where where the club is at this moment, I would not expect them to be drawing that much attention to themselves. Yeah, well, they certainly are. Anyway, and um, yeah, like you said, perhaps it'll have an iconic moment and um, it'll be attached to it for that. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to to watch at least if if I, if I can watch the screen when it's on. Um, 
Yeah, so let, let's actually talk about the football then. Obviously, um, they lost in the friendly of the weekend, uh, but Palace are going to be United's first Premier League game next week, Old Trafford. Uh, they're already underway in their league season. They won against Southampton. Decent game as well, that, as, as I felt. No, well, not brilliant, but I think Really? Well, when Wayne, you, Wayne, Wayne, I was there. When, when, you watch, when you haven't watched football for a long time, <laughs> and then you yeah. see a game, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's not, not so bad. Um, go on, <laughs> tell, me what, tell me your thoughts on the game and, and your thoughts on Palace and how they're going to shape up against United. Um, it was more about how poor Southampton were. I was expecting a lot more from Southampton, from Ings and everything. I thought they were poor. It was, a, it was an awful game. But to be honest, we spent, in the end, at some point during the game, so I was doing the radio, we was talking about Trumpton, Chigley, Camwood Green... And things like that. That's the thing. That's what radio's like, really, in a way. You have to fill space. So to take it away from the game, you just bring up little bits. And, and that's what and that's where it was. I was quite happy to talk about it because as a football spectacle, there wasn't any, there wasn't any football. And if you talk about spectacles, you'd if you was wearing them, you'd have taken them off so you couldn't see anymore. <laughs> it was, it was, Maybe my standards are completely... Oh, oh, do you know what? Um, I... I will say I didn't watch the full game. I watched it on the highlights, and it looked decent because Palace had a few chances. I thought right, okay, all right. Well, be honest, Wayne. You've dug yourself out of a hole there, mate. I'll give you. I'll give you that one. But it was. It wasn't. It was. It was terrible. I was looking at. I said afterwards in the chat after. I said, oh, I said I look at some of these players. I look at Southampton who disappointed me after the way they finished last season. I look at them and I think to myself and I look at our players now struggling without having their egos massaged by their um. By, by fans on the side mm. the adulation that they get as well when they do things right I said are they starting to miss that bit by what we're getting but when you get what happened at Anfield then you think yourself, well maybe not but I don't know Just there were so many poor games after lockdown the worst game I saw the whole of last season was um, Tottenham v Everton but they made up for that in the last game because Everton were brilliant yeah. yesterday but I think, I, want, I think players now are getting a little bit fed up with it Players, players want them back. You, they're earning all that money, rightly or wrongly. But at the end of the day, they want fans in the stadium. Then they're, they're not content to be playing and just picking up money because they mostly, in a way, feeling that they need fans there. They need something to give them opinion, something to get them to go. You know, you think about rugby when they're trying to hold a line and stop a team get to, you know five yards from the try line minute ago and you you got you're protecting a one point lead they need the fans behind them to help them push push those push that team back to protect their lead they're not getting that anymore they're not finding that extra strength in their muscles or getting over that their shoulders hanging off but they're willing to push through that pain just to win a game and i think players are struggling for that little bit of oomph mm. not the best word to use but it's, they need that, and I, and I saw that in that game because it just. I woke up on a Saturday morning. It was the first day of the new football season, and when I was playing, I couldn't wait to get there when I was playing because, especially when you was at home, the, you always believed the sun was shining as it was on Saturday, and you think yourself, going to get there. The adulation when you get into the ground, you get in there, you're, you're seeing the lads, and you kind of think, yeah, yeah. You go out in that pitch the first time, the fans hadn't seen you for two and a half months you go yep and you go and win that game you want the season to stop now because it's fantastic I got up in the morning and generally I get up when I go doing the uh, media stuff I jump on a train I'm going in and watching people the nice day t-shirts on you walk into the ground everyone's chatting and you know things like that but honestly I turned up and I and I turned up well I woke up initially 
And actually, half past ten, and I thought to myself, hold on a minute, yeah, I've got, I'm going football today. And I thought to myself, why, why am I going, oh God, I can drive because there's no fans. Especially Crystal Palace, which is the driving to Croydon from here. It's an awful drive. If there's fans there as well, it's even worse. But I thought, no, I can drive. I'm going to drive. I'm not going to go on a train. And then I get there and it's flat. You're walking around and everyone's wearing mouth muzzles and things like that. And it was just, it wasn't football. And then you sit down and all the press people are splattered all over the place. No one's having any conversation not talking, you want to have something, and then they start talking, you're saying, take that thing away from your mouth, I can't understand you, you don't bother talking to people anymore. And you watch that game, and it was average at the best. And I look at Crystal Palace, and I think to myself, they had exactly the same team out there, nothing new out there at all. As they come on, the young lad they got from QPR, he come on, and yeah, he did okay, but it's still the same Palace. I think that's why might start against Manchester United. I think maybe IU will go to the right-hand side, Townsend will drop out. I think that's what they look at at this moment in time. They're on about buying um, Ben Rama from ben, um, Brentford, who's a left-sided one, very, very sharp, bit tricky. One who could maybe go on and do something in the same mode as maybe Amarez, because I think he's, um, North, he's from North Africa as well, I think. That is, I don't know if he's Algerian or Moroccan or something like that, but he looks quite sharp. So they might be getting him. But it's still going to be the same Crystal Palace who seems to come to Old Trafford and give Manchester United a hard time. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting how that game goes. Um, I, I don't want to call that game at this moment in time because I don't know what Manchester United are going to do between now and then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. So I'm not, I don't want to call that game, Wayne. Call me a coward, but I don't think you're far behind me on that shout. I did. No, I definitely would not because I think it's you're right in what you said. I, I looked at it and I look at Zahar doing what Zahar does, and then I think, is he going to have the motivation to do that for another year at Palace? You know, another full year. It's it's going to be difficult for him to maintain that. Not the standard because he's obviously a very good player, but when you've obviously covered a move. It's different to what it was 20 years ago. You know when Matt Letizier would be playing and he had his own motivation for playing for Southampton and even though Southampton were never going to be challenging for the league, he was comfortable in his, his sort of personality they developed there. Zaha's not comfortable in the sort of environment that he's at, at Palace, so it's difficult to, to see how he's going to um, maintain that sort of motivation. You know, he might well do. He's, he's just a, a, a difficult one for me to see and... Obviously, you look at a game at Old Trafford and he'll certainly, um, that is one, what he will be up for. Yeah. Um, I, will, I will say about Zaha, by the way, he's another one who's mostly missing the adulation of the fans because the fans at Palace love him. Yeah. On the other side of it, I don't think he's good enough to go and play for a bigger team than Crystal Palace. Mm. I don't think he's good enough. I watch him and I'm waiting to see more from him. And he was poor at the weekend. He scored, had a goal disallowed for offside as well, but he was poor. Um, I don't think he can go any bigger. I don't know if he's got that little bit now that he can't move outside of vicinity. That's his area. That's his manner. He's a local. Everything about him that suits him. That's the bit. That's the big. That's the big fish scenario. Yeah, and he's twenty-seven. He's nearly twenty-eight. Yeah. He's not. He's not twenty-two, twenty-three anymore. He's. he's and and it's no longer a case of has he got the potential to go to that level. He's probably, like you said, he's probably the. I don't want to say shortcomings because that sounds harsh, but the the sort of weaknesses in his game, which are holding him back from the move that he, he wanted, um, mm. but this that's probably 
is is standard, and, and like you said, it's going to be a case of the games that motivate him. Mm. Uh, he's um his biggest weakness in his game is his temperament. Yeah, because he reminds me of maybe many kids of my era who were playing football in schools and was doing playing free and in and stuff like that. All the bits out there, all the little games you used to play during the play before school and the play break is that he doesn't like to be tackled. You tackle him, take the ball away from him. He doesn't get a foul because he asks for a foul. He wants to confront you because you tackled him. Yeah, that's what he does every single time. He can't help himself and he does it. And he frustrates you when you're watching him as a co-com because you want to turn around and say, what I'm seeing is a good athlete. I'm seeing someone who's got good tricks, great body movement, but you don't do it enough. And every time it doesn't go your way, you sulk. Instead of turning around, tracking back and doing, doing something for the team, it, it doesn't work. Roy, I think Roy is in a difficult position because he knows, because Roy is a Palace boy himself, born in that area, Palace fan, you know, if he put if he put his hand to his heart, he's a Palace fan, and he knows that he can't have him leave him out yeah. and sitting there because of the way he conducts himself. Because he knows he's he's a bad apple. Yeah, he knows. It's a tough one, um, yeah. but but yeah, like I said, we don't know what Palace will turn up next week, and and you don't know what. First of all, you don't know what eleven Manchester United are going to turn up. But yeah. then again, even when you know the eleven, you still don't know what what they're going to put out on the pitch. Uh, yeah. Even if it's a little bit more um, reliable under Ole in in recent times than what it has been before. So yeah, I'll I'll um, if if Paul thinks he's been a coward, then I'll be even more cowardly. And I won't even <laughs> offer offer a summary like that. Um, I'll just say. Um, yeah, we'll be here next week to talk about it um, and and pick the bones out of it. Um, we're, we're definitely better. Well, I'm definitely better at hindsight um, remarker than than one who can forecast things. Um, yeah, that's it for this week, guys. Um, remember, TOTD10 is your code for a 10% discount with classic football shirts. If you enjoyed the show, give us a nice rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We do have giveaways. Uh, books and shirts that will be coming up I'll be giving a copy of my Jimmy Murphy book a copy of my David Beckham book away but obviously you've got to get reviewing um, if you don't review um, there's no one to give it to so um, that's how it works um, that's it for this week guys take care and we will be back soon